morning. Oh my gosh, it's so pretty outside today um, in California. <laughs> it's like 70, super sunny and nice for February. And it's been really cold lately. Um, so this is nice. I don't like cold. I'm like a summer person for sure. So this time of year, I'm totally at my wits end with the cold weather and winter and I'm just ready for some heat. <laughs> so, um, we're actually going to talk a little bit about heat today. Um, you know, the fire in life, the fire inside. Um, so I want to talk about what Stockholm syndrome does to our brain. I want to go deeper with that. Um, I'm starting to be able to develop a really like good ability to verbalize this. And I think it's important to be able to explain it because when I read about it, I know that's what's going on with me, but it's like, you know, when I talk to other people about it and they're like, Oh, well, what exactly is that? Like, like what, how, how does that work? Like how exactly do you feel? I kind of struggle to verbalize it. You know, I can, I can give you the definition and kind of tell you like, you know, the more well-known cases of it, um, with like kidnappings and stuff that they compare it to, but it's been hard for me to kind of fully be able to verbalize it within my situation. So I started thinking more about that this morning and wrote down some thoughts. So, um, today I actually took some time to listen back to some episodes and kind of go through that progression of leaving the first time and healing what I sounded like, the things I was saying, and my overall state of mind. And then I listened to some episodes where I was going downhill again in July. Um, it's February now, so kind of that time span of going back a second time and and developing that that Stockholm again, which was already there, you know, and I think like once you have a trauma bond with somebody, once you have that dynamic with somebody, like it's always going to be there. And I've talked about that, but just listening to you kind of going back down into that rabbit hole again. Um, I haven't seen him in three weeks. Um, but it's just fascinating, like listening to my shifts in state of mind when I'm in wonderland in his rabbit hole being controlled uh, being seduced, being swallowed whole by that trauma bond and the gaping like wounds, you know, that's the center of my universe when I'm going through that. And it's a distraction and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I'm trying to distract myself from. I have some thoughts going on that. I've been back in therapy, but I do know I'm not me. Um, when I'm there, I'm not me. I'm the version of me he was able to create, which is not a free person. You know, I'm just not. Even this last time when I had a better handle on it and actively knew about the manipulation and gaslighting and knew when he was doing that, it's still just not a free state to be in. You're locked into a jigsaw puzzle or like a riddle that feels good because it's a distraction from the pain they caused you in the first place or like that's how it starts anyways right and then slowly it just goes back to cat and mouse 
you know, he'd act shitty or do something shitty or lie and I'd say so. And then it was just like gridlock. Neither of us wanted to budge. Um, you know, he'd promised me all this nonsense I knew wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, and again, I'd tell him so and just take space until the urge to speak again returned for me and I'd re-engage. So that's something I took a close look at this time. And I think it's really comparable to the habit of addiction. Um, those pathways that form dependence on a chemical substance that happen in drug use. Because at first I could go a while, you know, it's like I could go like about a month or two and he'd be trying to talk to me in the meantime. So ignoring it was hard too. Like it's not out of sight, out of mind, which is why no contact is so important. And that's hard to achieve sometimes. I know it's been hard to achieve for me, even when I'm actively trying. You know, he finds ways. Um, It's easy not to think about the happy juice if the syringe to use again isn't sitting in front of you, right? But that wasn't the case for me. And so it just would decline. You know, I'd go a couple months and then I'd be able to go a month and then I'd be able to go two weeks and then I'd only be able to go a week and then... Before you knew it, it was just tangled back in the cycle again. So, um, you know, so, okay, let's talk about that. So at first it was a month and how does this happen? Like at first it's real easy to ignore it after there's been a fight or a character slip where the facade comes down for a moment and you catch it and you're like, oh yeah, you're actually kind of fucking evil. I don't want to be involved with you. And the rationality rushes back in and then you're able to detach. The best way I could describe what that's like is when you're under that Stockholm spell, it's like you're almost in a dream state and it's like kind of like when you're in a dream or when you're in a movie where you're with someone and it's someone dear to you and then all of a sudden you realize it's the evil villain in the movie who's been in disguise the whole time I was watching a movie with my daughter the other night I think it was Tangled and the evil stepmom like turns herself into the the love interest in the movie she's like able to like turn herself into him and look like him and Rapunzel's like you know oh like thinking she's with this guy that she's been with and then all of a sudden like you know, the spell wears off or whatever, she undoes it and it's actually her. That is kind of like, it sounds like weird, but that's actually like the sensation of coming in and out of Stockholm Syndrome. That's what it feels like. You think it's this wonderful person and then all of a sudden, like, you know, you have a character slip or they they show you that hide side again and you're like, oh, whoa. So let me try to give you an example. Um, I think it's helpful when I use personal examples. So this happened right before he was able to really suck me back in this last time. Um, I was fighting it really hard. I knew it was not you know, getting bad again. We had been spending time together and it was going like decent in the way of abuse. Um, it wasn't like volatile. There hadn't been anything yucky for a while. Um, you know, I was like able to keep my distance. Um, we were sleeping together here and there, but we were kind of in a spot 
I liked because he'd sort of like seemed to have accepted the let's just be friends thing and it was feeling more authentic to me because we weren't fighting about being together. We would just spend time together and talk and laugh and have fun without the pressure of that push and pull cat and mouse thing we always had going on. So we did that for a bit and then he picked up on me letting my guard down, I think, and me shifting into this state of beginning to trust him again somewhat. And I think he picked up on the fact that I was pondering whether he could be a decent fucking human being to me again or not. So he'd begun asking to come over more often, spend more time around each other, and he started pushing the subject of going on dates again, like in the beginning when we first met. Let me just start over. Like, give you all that really good shit, you know, all the love bombing and this and that. Um, You know, let me give that to you this time, and I promise it'll stay that way. I promise I've learned my lesson and I want to redo because I know how much I hurt you and I'm working on myself and I want to show you I can be better to you if you let me try again. Okay? Like pretty much what every abuse victim wants to hear from their abuser, right? Spot on? Yeah. So we had set a day to hang out and kind of like start this again. I'm like, okay, whatever. Let's try it. Go on a date and go back into like date mode. Which, when I think about it now, is kind of silly because we were already doing that. But just as friends, you know, it was kind of just like, don't hold my hand in public type of a thing. Like, I wasn't letting him, like, take on that role in my life of, like, love interest. But there was really no difference except where I was, like, with it mentally. And the fact that I wasn't letting him in emotionally. So that's what this was. It was him going, okay. I have you in a good spot. You're starting to trust me again and not fear me. So time to pull the wool over your eyes again and suck you in emotionally. So a few days uh, later after this conversation about kind of going back into romance mode or whatever, he calls me in the middle of the night drunk. And um, he has this dog and... When I was with him, you know, I was with him for quite some time. And this dog was like my child when we were together. This dog has been like a huge issue in holding me back. I was so attached to this dog. So he's definitely used him as leverage over the years. Um, Anyways, the dog had been hit by a car recently. And he called me one night late. And he was FaceTiming me. So I answered and he appeared on the screen with a very swollen face and bloody lip. And he was fucking livid. Like, raging. I hadn't seen that facial expression in a long time. Um, you know, since we were together the first time before. So it had been like over a year. And my stomach kind of turned immediately. And I thought to myself, okay, this isn't good. He's still the same. Like, nothing's changed. Um, so he started telling me what happened to the dog and he said the dog was in his lap and he like petted him and grazed his like leg the wrong way and the dog jumped up and bit him in the face. So he presumes to go on and on about how angry he is and I'm like, well, he's hurt, you know, like he has a broken leg. That's just his way of letting you know, don't touch my leg. That really hurts. Um, you know, and he's never bitten him before. He's like a really sweet dog. Um, But this whole demeanor towards it 
for him was like, fuck this dog. He bit me in the face. Look at me. Look at my face. Like no empathy towards this dog being hurt whatsoever. And this dog is like his baby too. Like he acts like this dog is like the sun and moon for him, you know? And I always kind of wondered about that because I knew he struggled to value people and women but it seemed as though he really valued this dog. And I always kind of wondered, like, oh, I wonder if he, like, really feels that way about the dog. Mm, obviously not. So I started to get pissed off because I love this dog. And, you know, he didn't do it to be mean. And so I started arguing with him. And when I started to argue about it, he goes, I should have just put him down instead of paying to get his fucking leg fixed. And at one point when we were arguing, he goes, I'm so mad I should re-break his leg. Ew you right okay that's what I'm talking about character slip so let me tell you this man is so good at presenting himself in a way that is sweet and loving and empathetic like he'd give you the shirt off his back he'd do anything for you he's the protector you know he's the soldier um like in the beginning anyways obviously my myself I've known for a while like I've known better for a very long time now but he is good at that and his physical appearance like helps that too he's got like these sweet puppy dog eyes and these long eyelashes and it's just like oh my god you look so loving but when he's in this state he looks different he's got like the crazy eyes he has mean eyes and when he said that I was like okay there he is but that's the moment for an abuse victim where it's been lovey-dovey guy and then all of a sudden the spell wears off and you see who is really there. Rasputin. <laughs> so the next day I was like, okay, not today, Satan. And I told him, hey, we're not hanging out. I changed my mind, uh, you know, and I told him why. I was like, you, you know, I don't like how you were talking about the dog. You obviously still have, like, this explosive anger and mean side, and I've never seen you that way towards the dog. Like, that scared me even more because I just wasn't used to it. I'd never seen him be that way towards his dog. So, of course, he freaked the hell out, and he started telling me how inconsistent I am and how mean I am for toying with his feelings. He's like, you know, you get me all excited. We're going to get back together, and then you do this, and that's why you know, that's why we have so many problems and we haven't gotten back together because you do this. Okay. What's that? Gaslighting. So I was like, whatever. And stayed away. But the issue with Stockholm syndrome is this wears off. Unfortunately, that rationality that kicks back in when you see mean guy again, that wears off. When someone has seduced you repeatedly and has created these experiences where they make you feel the most loved you ever had, and then there's intermittent fear and immense pain intertwined in it. And then they come make it all better with seduction and orgasms and just like this pure ability to convince you they really are a nice person who just has some issues. And they're talented. Okay. Individuals like this individual that I dealt with, they're talented. Don't think it wouldn't happen to you because it would. He's outrageously charming and able to do this to people. And even when you know better, like it just straight up takes over your brain. So that is Stockholm Syndrome. Someone's ability to take over your brain and return you to a state of belief that they love you and care about you more than anyone ever 
else will. It's going to be okay. You have a divine connection to them. There is an involuntary loyalty to them. And it is involuntary. I am an intelligent woman. But when I am suffering from Stockholm Syndrome with this person, my intelligence is not able to save me or help me think logically, period. Dictionary's definition of Stockholm Syndrome. An emotional and voluntary psychological response. It happens to abuse and hostage victims when they have positive feelings towards an abuser or captor. It is thought this happens to protect the person from feeling the true reality of what is really happening to them, which is terrifying and obscene in nature. Okay, back to my point. So I had moments like this where I pop out of it. I briefly am able to snap out of it and go, holy shit, and like run, right? Like get away. But it's not always that way. And I have been doing this for so long with him. I'm able to sense like even when it's coming on and I try to stay away and keep boundaries and distance. But the issue is like with substance abuse and addiction, there is no moderation in Stockholm. One cannot use heroin moderately. You are physically hooked on the shit or you become ill if you don't have it. And having the overwhelming drive involuntarily to just get your hands on one more hit, you know, that's what it's like. And it feels gross. It's not fun. Like you feel ashamed and you are hopeless when it's at its worst. And you get to a point where it's like, why try anymore? Like, why try anymore? I'm so fucked up and stuck in this cycle. Might as well enjoy the high while it's there. And I think drug addiction is actually more cut and dry. It's easier for someone to detach from a syringe. It's not a human being that once made them feel safe, loved, and adored after their divorce and in their most vulnerable state. Heroin doesn't send begging love letters and apologies. And heroin doesn't have a voice you hear on the other end of a phone that is so intoxicating. Just that can get you hooked again. It doesn't have a smile or a scent that's familiar to you and is the only thing you want on a hard day. It doesn't have a history with you. It doesn't have hands to touch or lips to kiss. So next time you want to judge someone struggling to not go back or get out, or maybe next time you're judging yourself, I want you to think about that. What if heroin was a man, a person in your life? What a fucking nightmare, huh? It takes an immense amount of strength to quit. Have you been discarded? You know, there's like this cycle that they say um, narcissists and antisocial people use. Um, you know, in the last stage of it is discard. They just discard you. Are you going through that? Are they ignoring you? I know it hurts, but please be thankful for this. I was never graced with discard. I prayed for it. I prayed for him to leave me alone for just a few months straight so I could breathe. Because... Just when I had made it out of withdrawal, I swear to God, he could sense it from miles away. There he was again. And what happens then? Oh, I'm feeling better now. And my dopamine pathways are really lit up from that phone call or text. Temptation is running rampant in my veins. I'm smart now. I can handle this now. It won't hurt to just meet him for a coffee or just one beer. And then I'll leave and go stay the night with this other guy I'm seeing. 
I sound like a drug addict, huh? Abuse is potent. Do not underestimate um, its power and do not underestimate the seriousness you need to take in staying the hell away from someone who has this dynamic with you. There is no moderation in abuse. There is only relapse in a repeated fight to get back out. So I kind of wanted to go over that today. Um, put that into words this morning because it's been challenging to fully explain thus far to that extent. And that all just kind of came rushing in. And so I drank coffee and wrote it down. <laughs> and after this really bad incident where, you know, I've filed a restraining order, um, I had to come to Jesus with myself that if I don't make this permanent and make it legally not okay for us to be around each other, I'm going to get hurt because his behavior has escalated. And when I saw a mean guy this last time, it was in public. It was in front of everyone. And this tells me his balls have gotten so big, he is starting to care less and less about consequences of his actions and this is going to get bad, you know, it's going to get bad in just being away from him for three weeks. I feel so much better. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today also. Um, and I also want to share, there was no withdrawal this time, none. So I think it does get to a point like when you're really done where you don't go through withdrawal anymore. So I want you to continue to fight for that. Um, I did let him come over and apologize the night after, so Stockholm did kick in, you know, and I think about that now, and I'm like, why are you letting this man back in your house after what he just did to you the night before? You know, that's all part of it, though. I was a mess and wanted to feel all better, but it didn't that night. It didn't feel all better. Um, it felt gross, because it is. It's gross. And the next day, I told him, like, I don't want to do this anymore. You're a fucking disgusting human being. You're a pervert. And I don't ever want to see you again. And I went and got my shit. And I filed. Um, I was nervous to file. And I was feeling a certain level of guilt. Because of what he'll have to deal with. But when it was granted. When I saw the judge had granted it. That went away. And there has been zero urge to have anything to do with him. And I think it's going to stay that way this time. I really hope so. I feel free. I am free. Now. Finally. So. What do I sound like when I'm not suffering in Stockholm Syndrome? Um, I wanted to kind of, you know, listen and, and take a look at that. Um, where's my head at? Naturally. When you're in a relationship like this for years, you lose track of who you are. You can't remember really what it feels like to be you before them anymore. So it hinders the urge to return to that state. It's like, I know I was happier, but I can't remember really why. And I can't even really remember who I was. I think back to when he'd say, I'm not a project. You treat me like a project you're trying to fix. And I thought to myself today while listening to these, actually, I'm the project. You're not that special. And 
I've been documenting my recovery because I've been working at it and it's hard and it's also way better than being in that fucking relationship I was in with you before I knew I was being abused. So once I truly accepted it and dedicated myself to healing from it, even though I've gone back sometimes, I began writing about it and recording these. Not for you, mister. Not for abusers like you, but for me and survivors like me. So we're the project and it's an important one. I think my favorite recording, like going back and listening, um, my favorite recording I've done so far is called Now That I Know It's Not You. Um, This is the time I think I was closest to being in the state that I'm in right now where I was letting go. I didn't want this anymore. I didn't need it. I didn't feel like I needed it. And I wanted to lean into being me again and having my life back again. When I'm out of Stockholm, I'm optimistic about life and the people in the world. I am happy to be alive. I find a beauty in everything. My senses are so heightened. I'm not numb. I have motivation. I run. I feel the wind in my face. And I'm so thankful to feel these things because I notice I'm not numb and miserable anymore. So just feeling the wind on my face and the sunshine on my skin when I'm running is an overly joyful experience now. And my thoughts are, I'm so thankful to be away from him and I'm happy. And I feel this right now without him ruining my day. I have way more fun with my friends. I'm just, I just have way more fun in general. Um, I'm able to be present instead of waiting for the next text or distracted with if he'll stay in a good mood today or if by the end of the night we'll be fighting. I'm not distracted by being fearful something bad is going to happen. I feel, you know, and I'm also not distracted with like working to preserve when it's going good. Like that's something too that I want to touch on because even when it's going good, it's not really relaxing because you're constantly trying to preserve that because they have this personality where you know it's going to get bad again. I also feel at ease when I'm not in it. I feel at peace. I feel open. I don't feel distrustful of my surroundings. I don't feel anxious. I don't feel panicky. I don't feel on edge. All of those things I just listed are symptoms of PTSD. So I'm thankful to have those symptoms be calming down and being like out of them right now. I feel excited for my future. Me all by myself. But the number one difference I feel is I feel unconditional love for myself. When someone treats you with conditional love and coercion and manipulation, you lose unconditional love for yourself and you question your worth. You do, no matter how much self-worth you've cultivated. When you are interacting with an abusive sociopath, they are able to rob you of that. Self-worth is your light inside and it goes out when I am with him. And I'm thinking on that today because a light bulb went off. Maybe I chase his ability to turn my light back on when he's giving me the honeymoon phase because he turns it off every time we're back together again.
I don't know that I was totally aware of that. Think of a flame burning inside of you and your abuser reaching inside and grasping it and pulling it out. And he puts it behind his back. There he stands with your inner light telling you, you don't have inner light. Look at you. It's dark in there. You're ordinary. You're miserable. You don't have inner light. A natural response would be, I need my light back. Please give it back to me so I can be me again. Isn't it? Maybe that's where the chase comes from. Maybe that's their way of tricking you. Let them take that light. Let it burn them. Even though they're hiding it behind their back so you can't see they've taken it from you, it's still flickering and growing in their hands. You can't see it anymore, but they can. And they want to convince you it's gone out and you won't be getting it back. But your light will keep shining. And it'll burn them. So, to those with no inner light right now, Think about the fact that a new fire can be started and grow rapidly. Fires can begin again over and over. That's how we survive. We start a fire to stay warm. We begin again. And it's scary in the dark, but if you really look inside, you'll find your fire again. And in the meantime, let that motherfucker be blinded by the light he took away from you. It's there. It always will be. Don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Much love, guys. Till next time.